Welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. A podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Let's get going. Games, video games, board games, card games, games on the playground of tag and hide and go seek all over the world. People and cultures have played a wide variety of games for centuries, thousands of years. We've played them when we were bored as a way to make friends, pass the time, make connections, or some have even had cultural significance. Growing up, some of my favorite memories include spending sleepovers with my cousins and playing the board games of Life or Clue, or hanging out with friends and playing a game called Mafia or Murder in the Dark. In college, I found my group of friends from my sophomore year on through graduation, all thanks to games. They were hosting a game night in their apartment, and we were playing a spaghetti western-themed game called Bang. Between shouting and laughing and scheming and short-lived victories that night, we created bonds of friendship that lasted through college. Another game I love to play is called Egyptian Rat Screw. At least, like, that's the name that we used for it. Apparently, it's similar to the English card game named Beggar My Neighbor. No idea who's naming these things, but sounds like a fun job. I even had members of my family meet while they were playing this game, and eventually they got buried. Who'd have thought, right? In more recent years, games like Dungeons & Dragons have also had a bit of a renaissance in pop culture. My sister plays D&D with her friends on a YouTube channel. And of course, there's the world of online gaming and video games. Many a night, I hear my brothers laughing and shouting at whatever video game they may be playing, which is also one of the reasons I'm grateful for earplugs, but we'll come back to that later. (laughs) In one of my courses in college, we even talked about the power for empathy found in video games. But we'll come back to that, like, later another day because this is an enormous topic. So for now, for this week, we are just going to take a brief look, like an overview, because it's huge, at the history of games, but we're going to focus mainly on board games because this would be like an hour-long podcast otherwise, and I don't have time for that right now, but we shall return to these other topics later because they're very interesting. So today we're going to talk about a few reasons that we have to be grateful for board games. First off, games can be found in all cultures and were even an important way for people to gather together and enjoy social interaction. Games actually have a lot of crossover with other aspects of civilizations and cultures, including religious significant, uh, insight into war and strategy, tools to teach players, as well as indicators of social status in addition to social bonding. You know, if you've played a game well together, you can look back on it, laugh and talk about it, and you feel like you have some camaraderie with these new teammates of yours. Whereas if things go badly, well, some bonds can also be broken. I mean, look at Squid Games. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. (laughs) It's very sad. That was actually quite sad. (laughs) Games are so important, in fact, that a Dutch cultural historian named Johan Hutzinger argues that they are a primary part of human culture. He does so in his book, Homo Ludens. He also says that playing games, quote, is older than culture. For culture, however inadequately defined, always presupposes human society, and animals have not waited for man to teach them their playing. Close quote. Basically, playing games was at the start of it all. Of art, war, law, philosophy, language, it was an integral part. 
When we take a look at the start of games, most prehistoric games were made from bones, specifically the talus or the ankle bone. This is where we find such games as knuckle bones or jacks, as well as games using dice. In fact, dice games date back to about 5,000 years ago, although they didn't necessarily look like the dice that we have today. Much more bony at the time. Mmm, haha, haha. <laughs> games were also closely tied in with religion at this point. When it comes to board games, it is likely that these came from the Near East. In a 5,000-year-old burial ground in southern Turkey, excavators found 49 carved and painted figures, which are likely the earliest game pieces that have been found so far. This initial find was called Dogs and Pigs by those who found them. Again, I don't know who's naming games, but it sounds like a fun deal. The earliest examples of board games were given as gifts to royalty and those of higher class and could also sometimes be diplomatic gifts. While board games may have been played by the elite, unofficial board games could still be played by the common folk who could scratch board games into stone or dirt. There were some researchers who suggest that some carved stones that had long rows etched into them dating back to 7,000 and 9,000 BCE may have been used to play a game a lot like Mancala. The earliest known board games were dice games for two players, and the earliest example that we have is a game called Senate, found in the first dynasty burial plots in Egypt dating back to 3,500 BCE and 3,100 BCE. The game is also recorded in hieroglyphs dating back to 3,100 BCE. Senate was originally played on a board with 30 squares, and the objective was to move your pieces across the board based on how you threw bones or sticks. It eventually became intertwined with religious beliefs as the pieces that moved came to represent human souls on the way to the afterlife. Another ancient game is called the Royal Game of Ur. This game was a racing game and used knucklebone dice. It was popular as far back as 2600 to 2400 BCE. The game was played in Egypt as well, and ancient Babylonian tablets indicate that the game could also be used to tell fortunes with astrological ties. It was popular with lower class peoples as well. There's even some graffiti depicting the game that's about 2700 years old. There have also been games similar to this one found in Crete, Cyprus, Iran, Sri Lanka, and Syria. There's also evidence of the game in Iran dating back to 3000 BCE. Rome also had a game called Nard, and another game called Ludus Duodecum Scriptorum. These two games may have been derivatives of the royal game of Ur. The ancient Egyptian game Hounds and Jackals spread throughout Mesopotamia and was popular in the Middle Kingdom around 2000 BCE. The game had two sets of 29 holes with 10 pegs, either hounds or jackals, used to move across the board, and it's believed that the objective was to get all the pieces to the other side of the board. This seems to be a trend. Ancient Greece and Rome also had many of their own games, with some that used balls, others were more like tic-tac-toe, and still others were more like games of strategy or military games. One game in particular that spread across ancient Rome and Roman Britain was called Ludus Latrun Calorum, or the soldier's game or bandit's game. This game derived from Greece's version, which was called Petitia. Petitia was mentioned in Homer's The Iliad, written in the 8th century BCE, making it one of the oldest mentions of a board game in Europe. 
After the Muslim conquest of Persia between 638 and 651, a game called Shatranji spread. Shatranji is an ancient form of chess from the Sasanian Empire. Modern-day chess derived from Shatranji and was eventually spread to Europe in the 10th century. Books were even written on how best to play Shatranji, the best openings and endgames, problems with the game, and its history. The Book of Chess was written by Al-Adli, who lived from 800 to 870. Al-Adli also created a way to rank the players. While there were many other table games like Mancala, many Arabic texts discussed not only the game itself, but the possible morality and legality of actually playing the games, whether or not like that was okay. And in fact, it deemed that some games were not okay to play. Also in India, we find the invention of the games of chapar, chess, and pachas. Backgammon came from Mesopotamia about 5,000 years ago. When it comes to China, a popular game that is still played today is called Go. This is a strategy board game where two players try to capture or surround more territory than the other. This is a very simplistic explanation of how the game works, as the game itself is quite complicated. It was invented more than 2,500 years ago and is still played today. It is believed to be the oldest board game that is still played today. About 46 million people know how to play Go, as of a 2016 world survey. The earliest recorded play of Go dates back to the 4th century BCE, and that record records a game that took place in 548 BCE. It's even mentioned in the Analects of Confucius. The story goes that the game was invented when Emperor Yao asked his counselor Shun to make a game in order to somewhat tame his misbehaving son Dansu. Other stories say that the game originated from generals and warlords who would use stones to set up and map out their attacks for war. Go was even named one of the four arts of a Chinese scholar gentleman. Go spread to Korea sometime between the 5th and 7th centuries CE. It was called Paduk and was popular with the social elite, to the extent that they even came up with their own version of it. Go reached Japan in the 7th century and was popular with the imperial court by the 8th century. In ancient Mesoamerica, we find the game of Patoli, which had spread to various civilizations across the whole of Mesoamerica. Patoli involved gambling and was a race or war game. It was a very serious game in which a player had to get their six pieces to the other end of the board traveling across specific squares. It also wasn't an invitation to play that you threw down lightly. You took it seriously and you asked on purpose and you were gambling specific things. Altogether, ancient board games could be broken down into four categories. That of race, like Pachisi, space, like the game of knots and crosses, or tic-tac-toe, chase games, and displacement games, which are like chess. Now, in Europe, dice and card games were pretty closely associated with gambling, and so it came with some legal regulations by the 1700s in England. As England grew and conquered other lands with a globalized influence of the British Empire, so too grew globalized board games with themes and specific branding. In the 18th and 19th centuries, John Wallace and his sons were some of the most successful board game publishers. In 19th century Prussia, which was largely Germany, we saw the development of Kriegsspiel, which was a genre of wargaming that focused on teaching officers war tactics and strategies. In the 17th to 18th century America, there wasn't a ton of time left for gaming because they were trying to survive, but there were some games that they could play, like bowling, checkers, and card games. For pilgrims, dice games were associated with the devil, and game playing in general was mostly frowned upon. 
The first board game published in the United States didn't come about until 1822. It was a board game called Traveler's Tour Through the United States and was published in New York along with its companion game Traveler's Tour Through Europe. As the United States transitioned more away from agriculture and became more urban, there was more time for gameplay. The earliest board games were tied to Christian morals, such as the game The Mansion of Happiness, which was about kind of finding your way to heaven. In 1860, the game The Checkered Game of Life, or known more simply today as Life, was invented by Milton Bradley. This was a shift away from the journey to heaven to a journey through normal life, moving from a religious to a secular focus. In its first year, it sold 40,000 games. Ideals of capitalism and materialism continue to change and influence games and gameplay. In the 1880s, we saw games that incorporated ideas of stories of rags to riches, one of the first of which was called The Game of the District Messenger Boy. Basically, you played as a boy on the lowest rung of the business who could potentially make his way to the top. And then, of course, in 1935, we saw the introduction of the game Monopoly, fully embracing capitalism in its gameplay. Margaret Hofer designated the 1880s to the 1920s as the golden age of board games in the United States, with mass production giving gameplay a significant boost as well. Since the 1990s, there has been a lot of growth in board games. In fact, in the 2010s, many in the industry referred to this time as the new golden age for board games. Some have attributed these growth spurts to the ease of access through the internet. In 2016, over 5,000 board game cafes opened up in the United States and have also opened and gained in popularity in China as well. Board games are even studied as part of the science of communication. There is gameplay theory and other ways to study how we play and why we play what it does. While some games are simply child's play based on luck, others require strategy, cooperation and diplomacy, risk management, skill, and quite frankly, still a little bit of luck. Now, there is so, so much more to talk about when it comes to board games, specific and interesting facts for different games across countries and cultures, but for now, we're going to stop here because there's a lot. So, for all the times we've been lucky with games, or unlucky, all the family and friend game nights that we've had that have ended in laughter, and even those that ended in tears, for all the times that we've spent with others playing games and making memories and friends, I am extremely grateful for games. And learning how to be a good sport, which is a whole other topic. (laughs) That is it for this week. Thank you so, so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care of yourself. Have a good one. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.